Hello, everybody. Welcome back to For the Girls. We are very, very excited to be back. The two-week breaks feels longer and longer as you go deeper into the season. So we're very excited to bring you an Austin or United States Grand Prix preview. As always, check out our Instagram and our Twitter. We've been seeing lots of merch coming in ahead of the Austin Grand Prix for all of those of you that are going to be there. We're very excited. And definitely join us on Discord. We have a special message out there for everyone who's going to be in Mexico, and we're going to be there too, so hopefully we'll see you there as well. So with that, we'll jump right into the preview. I'm Chessa. I'm Sarah. And I'm Tiggy. Welcome to the second U.S. race of the season and the one and only U.S. Grand Prix. The grid is heading to Austin this week, and they all seem to be super excited, as always, to hit American soil. Last year, there were over 400,000 spectators, including the three of us, making it one of the highest attended Grand Prix in history, and they are expecting crowds to top that number this year, which is crazy. It does not have the same level of glam and celebrity attention as Miami, I would say, but it does have its own Texas American flair. People love the event massive turkey legs on sale (laughs) it's like basically a giant fairground and we had a great time yeah it's always so fun they usually line up some pretty fun musical guests this year they have green day Ed sheeran interpol and Shaq, which is (laughs) a surprise wow (laughs) yeah very jealous of all of you who are going we had such a blast last year it's just peak texas culture which it's hard to even explain, but I think Danny Rick is on point with his re- recent <laughs> merch drop. That is definitely the vibe. And everyone was just so nice, and we had we had a great time. But despite the fact that the Drivers' Championship is signed, sealed, and delivered, there's still a ton of excitement happening watching Charles and Checo duke it out for second. They are so close, and all the teams fighting for constructors. As a reminder, there's a lot of money at, sp- at stake, depending on where teams end up in constructors so everyone will be fighting it out till the end we have a lot of teams that are close watch for the alpine mclaren fight for p4 so there's still a lot on the line for these teams red bull is likely to take instructors for the first time since 2013 which i personally am very excited for and it could happen in austin we'll get more into the numbers they would need later mercedes has won it eight years in a row so it'd be a pretty big upset if red bull can pull it off yeah there's definitely still a lot at stake even though to much to my sugar in the championship has been sealed. <laughs> but let's talk about CODA. So Circuit of the Americas. This is where this, the race is going to be held. It is 56 laps, five and a half kilometers with two DRS zones. There is a lot of elevation change here, almost 40 meters from top to bottom, especially at that first turn. There's a huge kill going into that opening corner. It actually runs counterclockwise. It's one of only five tracks on the current F1 calendar to do so. And the last corner was actually recently renamed for Mario Andretti. So trying to keep that American F1 culture strong. The USGP has actually been hosted since 1959. So even though it's not been on this track at Coda, it is actually a pretty historic event that's been held all over. Previously in Vegas, Long Beach, Phoenix, Detroit, Denver, and and Watkins Glen in New York, a little bit random. Um, And of course, Indianapolis. Coda was also first opened in 2012 and it held its first GP that year. So definitely one of the more recent races at at this circuit, but definitely a long, nice history for the U.S. Grand Prix. 
So for last race, like we said, we went last year, such a blast. It felt like a bit of a cataclysmic event being probably the first U.S. Grand Prix since Drive to Survive really swept Americans into the belly of F1 fandom during the pandemic. And fans couldn't really travel abroad during 2020. So this race was one of the first, I would say, realistic opportunities for us to show up in person. And we definitely did. And last year, the race was super exciting. It was a really important one in the Max versus Lewis battle for champion. Max started on pole with Lewis in second, but Lewis had a dream start and was leading uh, Max after the first corner when Max got pushed wide. There was some crazy Ferrari McLaren battle on that first lap with all four drivers going at it. And Danny Ricardo on what he thinks is like second home turf showed some of his best driving skills, passing first Lando and then Carlos to take fifth, which is where he finished. So that was great for him. Verstappen was able to get the undercut when he pitted for hard tires early and he managed to stay ahead of Hamilton the rest of the race, although it was super exciting and it was a fight through the very last lap. This, the result of that doubled Max's advantage in the driver's championship. And there were then 12 points apart heading into Mexico, but the season was like very much still underway. The fight for the championship was very much going on during this race last year, which is a very different situation than we have this year. We were, so, we were so lucky to be there last year. It was so tight right until the end. And we could see just Max and Lewis zooming past us so close. And I remember when there was a big hill going into turn one. So we could see you got the split second of when you realized that Max pulled off the undercut. And it was just <laughs> crazy. So on that note, some logistics advice from both us, from people in our Discord. Shout out to Hanging Fire and Skia Later. First off, wear comfortable shoes, lots of sunscreen, and a sun hat. It was so hot and sunny last year, even though it's October. So definitely be prepared for that. Shuttles are also recommended over taking Uber or Lyft, but make sure to budget a lot of time for the shuttles. So read, it can take hours to a couple miles with the traffic. We definitely speak from experience. <laughs> so get your wristbands as early as you can. And I think definitely recommend trying to just go to the track first thing in the morning. Every day you're there, we would just get up, grab breakfast, maybe you're at nine and then head to the track. Cause by the time you get there, find a spot, get settled. And in terms of spots, turn one going up that big hill gets super, super crowded. So we did a big walk around on either Friday or Saturday before quality to get situated. And then we ended up kind of camping out. I think it was between turns 18 and 19 going into kind of the last little segment at the end there. And even though it's a little bit of an unconventional viewing spot, we still got to see going into the breaking zone at turn 19. And we had a great view of turn one going into turn two because of the elevation changes. And it was, we had enough space for like 15 people to spread out. It wasn't too crowded. So I think definitely if you find a little bit of an off the beaten path viewing spot, that can be nice as opposed to going to turn one and fighting 300,000 people for a seat. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you have the F1 app or something downloaded or somebody texting you live updates, though, because even, you know, if you're in a grandstand, it's hard to see a lot of the track and um, you want to know what's going on at all times. So definitely do that. Yeah, some more logistical things. Um, The Circuit of the Americas Reddit has some good tips, apparently. Um, Also, I will say they have allegedly made some changes to help, you know, the roads and the shuttles be a little bit faster. But for all of you guys that are going and flying out Sunday night, that's what we did last year, 
the flights were super delayed because they were letting all of the drivers and the private planes go first. So just take that into account. Um, it was a wild ride. I have so a hilarious picture of that departure board <laughs> in which every single flight is red and says delayed. It was no joke. So definitely plan on that. I felt kind of superior. I drove to Dallas that night and then I drove yeah. flew out of Dallas like a few days later. Uh, <laughs> but let's talk about what kind of racing we can expect. So Coda, fun fact, was actually built on unused land that has a lot of clay in the soil. And it actually, because of that, has historically been a little bit bumpier and more uneven than usual. Lots of drivers, not just F1, but like from all motorsport, have complained in the past. A lot of the high-speed corners for this year have actually been fully repaved to get ready for that. So that's a lot better. I think we'll still see some bumps and which might be exacerbated with porpoising. So definitely look out for that. Of course, because of the elevation changes that we've mentioned, the wide turns, all of the different overtake lines, the teams are going to have a hard time. It'll be very interesting to see them balancing their setups between those slower wide corners and then the speed needed for those straights. And then, of course, like we said, it's going to be a really fun race for the midfield. There's good overtaking spots and we hope to see a lot of battles as the drivers look to lock in their positions for the driver's championship and, of course, get points for their teams as we're starting to see the Constructors' Championship play out. Okay, friends, it's festival and concert season, and you know it's all about the boots this year. That's why you need to make Tacova's your number one place for festival style this spring. And don't forget to shop their seasonal and limited edition offerings, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. We love Tacova's. They have a first wear comfort, which basically means there's no break in period. It's the best thing ever. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personal. Personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's really no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, though, just visit tecovas.com, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Women's health is so important, and balanced hormones are key for that. We've been loving Hormone Harmony from Happy Mammoth, who's committed to making women's lives easier. Hormone Harmony contains adaptogens, science-backed herbal extracts that help the body adapt to stressors like hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. We love it because it helps us maintain optimal hormone levels and supports our mood and general well-being. There is a reason that one bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code F1Rthegirls at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code F1Rthegirls for 15% off today. Yeah, so moving to the teams, Red Bull, this is really their race in Constructors' title to lose here. It, like we said, would be the first win of Constructors since 2013. So unless Ferrari outscores them by 19 points this weekend, Red Bull can cinch the Constructors' title. 19 points is a lot. So for perspective, even if Ferrari score a 1-2 finish and set the fastest lap to score the maximum of 40 points, for, sorry, 44 points, Third and fourth would be enough for Red Bull to get the championship this weekend anyway. Max has already won drivers, so hopefully this can just be a fun ride for him, although I know he will be still duking it out because he is a competitive boy. And <laughs> as for Checo, the battle for second is fully underway, as we said. I am glad that even though the championship has been decided, we can still have a little bit of a battle for second. He definitely needs to keep defending to keep his one-point lead on Charles for that second place. So that'll be a fun battle to watch this weekend. 
And in terms of things that are still potentially on the line for Red Bull, Max could also potentially still break the record for the most Grand Prix wins in a single season. So I'm sure he'll he'll be still racing for that. For Ferrari, Ferrari is actually the most successful constructor at the U.S. Grand Prix, which is a great fun fact. They have nine wins here. This is far from the season they were hoping for with, of course, the championship already going to Max and constructors also imminently going to Red Bull. But there is still some fight to be had. After his penalty last weekend, Charles missed out on second place, and that caused him to fall behind Checo in the Drivers' Championship. Would love to see him come back, make it a real battle for a second. Would also, I think, mean a lot to them to prevent a Red Bull 1-2 at this point. That would just be kind of embarrassing after (laughs) how far ahead they were at the start of the season. As for Sainz, he's in fifth place, just five points behind Russell, so he'll be looking to cinch that fourth place. And he did just extra shout out to him because he did an interview with Autosport this week where he said that he had to completely change his driving style this year to adapt to the Ferrari. So I think all things considered, he is doing well. I'm all here for Sainz. Fun fact, or not even a fact, but... A funny coincidence, I was just at a bar earlier this week and they were playing Smooth Operator on repeat. So I think that's going to be <laughs> really good. Yeah, good omen. Excellent good omen. So signs, <laughs> you got this, you're welcome. Let's talk about Mercedes. Time is obviously taking away for them. We only have four races left for them to avoid their first winless season in the most recent uh, V6 Turbo era. So definitely hoping for a good turnout from them. I think Austin and Mexico could actually be promising since they tend to be warmer tracks and the team has generally this season struggled with tire warmups. So trying to hold out hope for like a silver, a silver lining for them here. Hamilton is the most successful driver at the U.S. Grand Prix. He's had six victories overall, five of them being here at Coda out of the nine races at Coda. With that, he overtakes Michael Schumacher for the most United States Grand Prix wins. So he has a legacy to uphold here. He's also the first driver to ever cinch the Drivers' Championship in the U.S. twice. Last time was at the 2015 GP, but this could be his first winless season in 15 years. So, of course, holding out hope for him. And then, like we said, Russell is only five points ahead of signs for the fourth place. So hopefully he can pick up some points and lock that in this weekend. And I don't know if this is actually still holds true because George said this a while ago, but he did say that this circuit could be their best hope for a win. So maybe, maybe Lewis. Sarah, I feel like you're foreshadowing (laughs) some hot takes for later, but we'll get into it. (laughs) Oh gosh. I don't even want to speak that into the universe yet, but I probably will. Um, McLaren, some interesting comments from Zach Brown this week on Danny leaving F1 at the end of 2023, although that has not officially been announced, but everyone is expecting it. Um, Zach said, I think like everyone bummed, he won't be on the grid. He probably could have driven for Williams or Haas is my guess. I'm speculating that he doesn't want to drive for a team that's ninth or 10th in the championship, which I understand given his pedigree, but hopefully he'll come back in 2024. Oh, oh, Danny. At least he's coming to one of his favorite races in one of his favorite countries, and the Bills won for him, so he is all <laughs> all happy this week, hopefully. Lando, he has had a points finish both times he's raced here, so hopefully he can keep up the streak and get some points to regain fourth in the Constructors' Championship for McLaren. And Alex Palou, who is an IndyCar driver, will be making his debut during FP1, so definitely look out for that. I am glad they're having an IndyCar driver in FP1. I really like that. And speaking of the Bills, we are obviously F1 over all other sports, but we did go to our 
good friend. Shout out to Bridie's birthday party watching the Bills Chiefs game over the weekend. And I get why Danny's so into it. It's exciting. It's a fun team to root for. And in that same Carlos interview, he did say, which was so sad about how it just talking about Danny probably leaving at the end of the year about how everyone in F1 is only as good as their last race and how brutal that is, but how if he's able to come back in 2024, that it holds true in reverse. So if he has a big comeback, then everyone will just forget his two years with McLaren. So we'll manifest that that is going to happen. But anyways, moving on to Alpine, only 14 points between McLaren and Alpine for fourth. The team is bringing some minor updates to the floor this weekend. They're fourth upgrade so far this season so we'll see if that pays off they're already talking about how good next year's car is going to be but let's see if they can double down and keep that lead over mclaren i personally am really excited for this battle i think it could get spicy as we get into the last few races Ha, so we had some very interesting news from Haas this week regarding Mick's potential contract extension. We've talked about this in the past, too. In an interview with the Associated Press, Gene, never won two mince words, might I add, basically sat down um, and dished out an ultimatum for Mick. So he said, quote, we're just waiting. We need Mick to bring some points, and we're trying to give him as much time as possible. If he wants to stay with us, he's got to show that he can score points. That's just what we're waiting for. He continued his comments by saying, quote, he costs a fortune and he's wrecked a lot of cars that have cost us a lot of money that we just don't have. If you bring us some points and you ever stop in and you wreck cars, we'll deal with it. I know. But when you are at the back and you wreck cars, it's very difficult. So, yeah. Yikes. That is a savage thing to go out and say publicly. I mean, it's the stark reality of how it is. I don't know if I would have pulled a gene and said it to the Associated Press, but That is the predicament that Mick is in right now. And to add insult to injury, I think there is some speculation. We've all heard it that Hulkenberg might get this seat. And then obviously to add fuel to this fire, Hulkenberg will now be attending the USGP. And Haas is having some sort of like special press conference ahead of the race weekend. No, I'm such, I'm just such a Mick fan and I get how cutthroat it is, but I feel like Gunther and Gene are so mean to him in the press and people don't. (laughs) normally bash their drivers as much as they are just publicly trashing Mick. Like it's self-evident to everyone. You haven't re-signed him yet. Everyone can read the room and know that you're unhappy with him. You don't have to be so mean. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I hope this press conference is not about Mick. I hope it's about like, we have a new sponsor and it's American and we're announcing that at in America at the U.S. Grand Prix or something. Um, That could be more lighthearted. So for Alpha Tauri, Gasly is hoping to round out his final races with them on a high note. He said, I want to end this season, my last four races with AlphaTauri on a high note, even if my past record at Coda is nothing special. I've had a few DNFs here. Last year it was a mechanical problem, so it hasn't smiled on me much, but that's a good reason to hope for a change this time. Um, on the other hand, Yuki made it into Q3 and finished ninth last year, so I think he's probably hoping to replicate a strong performance but Helmut Marco said that DeVries should be the team leader from the start next year. So that is tough. And we will see if DeVries can shoulder that burden. Running through the last few teams here, Alfa Romeo, they have only scored one point in the last nine races. So if they want any hope at all of keeping seventh in the constructors, they need to really step it up. 
For Williams, Logan Sargent will be driving an FP1, is the first American driver to participate in a session in the U.S. Grand Prix since 2015. So really exciting. He's been super impressive in, an, in F2 and is one of the drivers definitely in conversation for a potential Williams seat next year to replace Latifi. So this is a bit of an audition. For Aston Martin, the team's been looking strong since Singapore, where they climbed to seventh in constructors. And they are just riding a high after Vettel's top six finish in Japan. Now they're just seven points behind Alfa Romeo. So they are on the hunt for P7. That would be a wild turn of events if Aston Martin starts climbing the, the rankings here. So for our hot takes and predictions, I know I said this, I wouldn't speak it into existence earlier, but I am just going to go ahead and do it. I am <laughs> going all in with my last, although no promises, we'll see about Mexico, uh, Hail Mary for a Mercedes win. It's got to happen. The Austin warmth is giving me hope for them. And I'm just going to say points for Mick to prove his worth as well. So those are my two very, very hot takes. Hmm. Um, <laughs> Sarah, you're, yeah. hmm, that's great. <laughs> I, well, I, I was thinking if, if uh, I was honestly going to go for a Mercedes win, but I think now that that is covered. So I'm going to demote it to a Lewis on podium. I do feel like he's historically done so well here. He's going to feel so much pressure to just, just for his own sake to get some really strong results on the board as the season winds down. I'm going to go with Checo win. I think he has just had a really strong run of form kind of return to challenging Max. And I don't know. I think he's back. The arc towards the Mexican GP <laughs> is starting. I think he's closer to home. Great vibes all around. He likes this track. So I'm going to go with Checo win. And also just Mick, Mick, please do something. I feel like we got to save that Checo win for Mexico, although maybe he could win it both. But we, we're going to be at Mexico. We need to see him win in his home country there. So I'm going to hope that it's Mexico that he wins. You know what, fine. I will put my manifestation weight behind Lewis winning along with Tiggy. There we <laughs> go. Yeah, let's let's leave Checo out of it for now because I'm deeply superstitious and I'm not going to – that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> anyways, anyways, anyways. I, for one, in actually a huge shocker, also have Mercedes P1. But I'm not going to say whether it's Lewis or George. We're going to have to see on that. Ooh. And in a big upset to Ferrari, I'm going to have Max and Checo P2 and P3. Ferrari is going to be wow. nowhere to be found on my hot take prediction podium. But it has wow. it's, it's hard. I think... Yeah, I think Charles might be a little bit distracted because it's his girlfriend's first time in the U.S. Like maybe he's going to be busy showing her around. <laughs> he's just going to be off his game. I don't know what to tell you. And then I think maybe we'll see Science P4 because of obviously the smooth operator omen that I got earlier this week. That would be beautiful. Mm -hmm. Jumping into news this week. So first and foremost, the cost cap findings. So the FIA's analysis of financial regulations was finally announced after Japan last week, and they found Aston Martin to be in a procedural breach and Red Bull a, quote, minor overspend breach, which is defined as a reminder as overspending by less than 5% of the budget, which still equates to over $7 million of extra spend. So we're not talking about minor dollars, but it is deemed a minor breach. Other teams and principals have reacted very strongly to the news, unsurprisingly, while Red Bull released a statement saying, 
Quote, we note the findings by the FIA of minor overspend breaches of the financial regulations with surprise and disappointment. Also unsurprising that that's what they would say. Bonotto was quoted saying, it's important to understand that even if it is $4 million, which falls into the category of what is considered a minor breach, $4 million is not minor. For us, $4 million represents the development parts for an entire season. $4 million means 70 people in a technical department who can come up with and produce solutions that could be worth up to half a second a lap. Wow. Toto echoed a lot of Bonotto's comments. Zach Brown piled on. He sent a letter to the FIA which said the overspend breach and possibly the procedural breaches constitute cheating by offering a significant advantage across technical, sporting, and financial regulations, and that the bottom line is any team who has overspent has gained an unfair advantage both in the current and following year's car development. He laid out a bunch of penalties he thinks are appropriate, the gist being not only financial but also sporting and other penalties. He also suggested that the minor threshold should be moved to 2.5% rather than 5%, as even a couple million dollars equates to a 25 to 50% upgrade to annual car development budget and, quote, would have a significant positive and long-lasting benefit. Wow. He did his homework on that statement, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. In a very memeable turn of events, catering is being blamed for this cost cap breach. Red Bull has been giving free lunch to their over 1,000 employees. So maybe that's why they reached the $7 million breach, but it's insane. Quote, Red Bull gives you wings. (laughs) That's one of my favorites. Red Bull gives you wings. It's so good. (laughs) Gold encrusted chicken wings. In fact, (laughs) there have been, there's even a, a parody Twitter account now uh, we'll have to find the exact name and put it on Twitter for you all. But uh, I think it's just called Red Bull Catering. And it does all these sampled <laughs> menus. And it's like <laughs> – That's incredible. And just means of like what are they feeding everyone filet mignon every day for lunch? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm like why are no other teams doing this? You know what it could be is like I've heard of some sport teams that feed their players trash when they lose but like feed them lobster and caviar when they win. And Red Bull's been winning so much. So maybe they just like – over allocated their budget. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Debates are flying amongst everyone. Next steps, Red Bull and Aston Martin have the option of going down an accepted breach agreement if they accept the FIA's findings, or they can choose to challenge it through a cost cap adjudication panel. It's unclear right now what penalties will be, but we are awa- awaiting the answer to that. And it also begs the question of if we're just finding this out now in October 2022 for last year's championship, like, have they also been doing the same for this year? It's a lot of open questions. We will see how it develops. But we, I think we should discuss our thoughts on this. I personally do not see any excuse for it. It looks and feels a lot like cheating. I kind of agree with Zach Brown on that one. And even though I am sure there will be loopholes that Red Bull has tried to exploit and will probably get away with more than they should. But Zach Brown also said, like, all teams had a dress rehearsal in 2020 to ensure compliance. And with the exception of Aston Martin's procedural breach, every team seems to have managed it besides Red Bull. And I I mean, I don't, I'm not looking at like the line items, but I think the catering stuff really seems like a scapegoat for the whole controversy that's like funny and lighthearted and all that. But at the end of the day, who cares where the money came from or what caused them to go over? They went over extra money contributes to better performance, period. And the joke of it is that they probably didn't even need extra with a driver as dominant as Max. And it just muddies the water and gives his 
championship last year and potentially even this year, another asterisk. So I hope the FIA sets a strong precedent with the repercussions because it just seems, yeah, unacceptable. Yeah, I'm going to keep it short and sweet, fully retweet what you just said, Tiggy. I think it is basically cheating. Like they knew what they had to spend or what they could spend. They went over it. The other teams didn't. So it's very unfair, even if it was just food or catering. And also, how do you manage to lose track of $7 million? I mean, (laughs) I don't think it was the full 7 million. I think it was like only a few, but still, it's a lot. I mean, I I don't know. Like if you can budget ahead of time and you can leave in some wiggle room, like everyone else managed to do it. So I'm a little bit confused. To no one's surprise, I'll play slight devil's advocate. (laughs) There it is. We got to have one. I I do agree that it should be punished, but I do think there is some relevance to what the actual line item was because I do take a lot of commentators, spanners from Miss Apex made a great point about this, about how no matter what they spent it on, it is true that they spent the money. And so if other teams were given that amount of money, they could have done something else with it. But at the same time, I still think it's relevant of what they spent it on because if their actual car development and amount they spent on upgrades was what everyone else was spending. And then they kind of accidentally misallocated some lunch that they thought they could stick in a non-budget cap line item. Since so many things aren't covered by the budget cap, then I do think that's separate from, oh, they spent 2 million on a new rear wing that no one else got. So I do think that's still relevant. I think they should be punished. It's, there's no excuse for spending extra money, but I think that should be, should be taken into account. And also some of of course, I think team principals always really hype up what's in their best interest, but some of them are being so dramatic. Like I just did some quick math on what Bonotto said about having 70 extra employees that's paying them, that's saying they're paying, he's paying 70 extra engineers, $57,000 each with no other cost on what they'd actually be working on, like just in salary. So some of it, it's kind of like, okay, let's tone it down a little. <laughs> I don't know. I It's not confirmed if catering is the real thing, I guess, that's making them go over. So until we see it, I think it's hard to defend. But yeah, we'll see what happens. So in some other more fun news to round up our news section, Lewis showed up to his first Broncos game this year or ever for him since he became the co-owner of the team. So very exciting, Lewis. Um, I'm loving this American football slash F1 crossover. Lewis is obviously taking a nice cue from Danny um, and his Bills Mafia fandom as well. And then in some more serious news to follow up this not so serious news, F1 thankfully has promised to release the findings from its report of the crane on the track of the Japanese GP. But I will say the FIA's first comments on their findings are that the issue was, quote, procedural problems. And it seems like they might just try to skirt over the whole issue that we talked about in our last episode. So more to come on that and we'll be eagerly awaiting those findings. So on to our special topic of the day, a W Series deep dive. Given the news of the W Series season being cut short, we wanted to discuss the news, dive into a recap of the season, talk about the series overall, and what could be next for the champion, Jamie Chadwick. So first for the news, the big headline last week was that the last three races of the W Series were canceled due to funding shortage. Apparently, a deal with an American investor fell through. They had been due to race in Austin and then a doubleheader in Mexico. Catherine Bonmuir, the founder and chief executive of the W Series, said that, quote, due to recent unforeseen circumstances outside of W Series control, we had not been in receipt of contracted funds due to us. 
the official W Series statement said the decision was, quote, made to focus on the longer term fundraising process to enable the longevity and financial health of W Series into 2023. She still seems positive that the W Series will be back next year. We hope so as well. She mentioned that since the announcement, there's been a lot of interest from other potential investors. So that gives some confidence for 2023. And she also expressed the main priority is to be able to cover all the expenses for drivers so they don't have to fund their own seats with a quote saying, we've always said we're about finding the fastest drivers, not the richest drivers. So amen to that. Snaps. I love that. And given the 2022 season completed seven races, which was more than the six race minimum, that means that Jamie Chadwick officially took the championship for the season, which became her third title. And they still expect to pay out prize money for the drivers, which is 500K for Jamie and then 1 million spread across the rest of the field. That's insane, that prize money compared to what we're talking about in F1. Like I know. What we just talked about. I totally agree. I think that it's like a sad irony that this news broke around the same time as all the cost cap drama in F1, where a minor breach is millions of dollars. So I don't know. It's tricky for W Series because F2 and F3, you it's super expensive and mostly on the drivers to fund their seat, whereas W Series covers costs for drivers. It's free to enter. It's probably it's what they should be doing in order to, to democratize the access, but it makes it really expensive and hard to maintain without great investors. So tough yeah i mean when i was reading all this news and thinking about it to me it seemed a little bit reminiscent of all the stuff that went on a few years ago and honestly still to this day of like the u.s men's versus the u.s women's soccer salary issues i mean everyone has so much money and to me it seems like they this should be important to them they're having a lot of lip service around women in f1 and women in motorsports so i don't know why they can't just pony up some of the money i know it's all more simply said than done but that's how i feel yeah, I'm pretty shocked that F1 hasn't offered to cover the difference. It's super upsetting, but it is an interesting inflection point where we'll get into this about Jamie Chadwick's future, but the stated goal of W Series is to get women into the male-dominated major racing series like F1. But for better or for worse, it seems like realistically the only pipeline for F1 right now is F3 and F2. And so maybe if W series isn't panning out for whatever reason. I'd love to see investors and resources getting poured into getting women into F3 and F2 so they can compete against men and show that they can perform in F3 and F2 just as well as men can. For the 2022 season and getting to our champion, Jamie Chadwick, for a quick W series overview, there were 18 drivers this year and two reserve drivers the series debuted in 2019 as a way to, as we just said, helpfully, hopefully help women get to the highest levels of motorsport. Everyone drives mechanically identical cars, just like F2 and F3, and it's free to enter. Jamie Chadwick, now with three titles, has won every title so far, first by 10 points, then by 27, then by 50. She's an amazing driver. She's been super dominant. This year, W Series raced during F1, re- uh, during F1 weekends at... Miami, Barcelona, Silverstone, Lake Hostier, Budapest, and Singapore. And as we mentioned, Jamie took her third title. She scored five out of the seven wins this season, which is wild. And she finished 50 points ahead of Beatsky Visser in second place. And Alice Powell came in third, seven points behind Visser. 
The W Series press release said of Jamie's career so far that it's been the, quote, perfect springboard to the next step in her motorsport career to be announced in due course, which, of course, begs the question of what could be next for her. The rules of F2 and F3 are that if you win those series, you're barred from coming back the following season in order to help drivers move up from the ladder. And the W Series doesn't have that role, which definitely contributes to women sort of stagnating and is the reason Jamie is winning her third season dominantly in a row. And Jamie expressed her desires earlier this season, saying any feeder series is the goal. So Formula 2, Formula 3, but also I'm actually looking at American opportunities and potentially indie lights as well. I'm just exploring all options. And like Sarah said, we've we've sort of discussed before how difficult it is for women to succeed in motorsport due to pipeline issues, lack of great opportunities. As a reminder, the past two women to drive in F3 and F2 were Sophia Florsch and, uh, in F3 and Tatiana Calderon in F2. But neither of them had great success. I think they were both kind of in uncompetitive cars, didn't have great opportunities. So it has been it has been tough. Yeah, to wrap up our, our section here on the W Series, so former F1 driver David Coulthard was actually one of the founders of the W Series, and he's echoed all of this saying, you know, there's getting to F2, and there's then there's getting to F2 in the right car. So it really does seem, you know, all the stars have to align for basically anyone to, to make it to F1, but for a woman, it's going to be especially hard. So Bruno Michel, the CEO of F3 and F2, said it's also a question of preparation and that, quote, it means that we need to be sure that when they when they come here, he's talking about women, that they need to at least qualify in the top 12. If it's to be at the back of the grid, it will be counterproductive because we'll have many people saying, look, this is exactly what we don't want, end quote. So, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And in terms of preparation, Jamie has now done close to 120 races in single-seater cars, more than any driver in the W Series. So in my opinion, she seems pretty damn well-prepared. But for comparison, Lando Norris had done 162 before he got into an F2 car. So she's definitely closing the gap. Um, but ultimately, you know, compared to everyone else, might still be considered relatively inexperienced compared to her male peers. On the bright side, um, in terms of things to hopefully look forward to, F3 did do an all-female test, which is really exciting, and Abby Pulling, who we mentioned, participated in it. And also, Tatiana Calderon made a big return to F2 after her IndyCar seat fell through, which is super exciting. So definitely keep an eye out for her next season. Yeah, that would be that would be really awesome. It's hard to think about, but people have started to question if W Series is truly helping to progress women's motorsport careers or realistically, like sort of just leaving them in lower category limbo where they can't really break out. Because if the standout star of W Series can't make it to higher series, like which which woman can. So there's been a lot of controversy and criticism over the series since its founding with people saying it segregates female drivers more than it actually helps to promote their inclusion. But we will see what the future holds. And that's super exciting news about the F3, the F3 stuff. So we will stay tuned. We'll keep you all posted on what announcements come out about W Series next year and Jamie Chadwick's future. But in the meantime, we are super excited for Austin and we will catch you on the other side for a recap. 